Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Pokescast, production of the Casper Star Tribune and Pokes Authority. I'm Davis Potter, Wyoming beat writer for the Star Tribune. And I'm joined, as I always am, by our Wild Varsity Preps writer, Brady Oltmans, who joins me on the phone up in Casper. Uh, Brady, uh, you recovered from uh, National Signing Day yet? No. <laughs> Say, <laughs> easy, easy, straight to the point. <laughs> It's, so where all you, where all you go? Where all you where all you have to go Wednesday? Um, I didn't have to go anywhere Wednesday because nobody was really doing anything in town. But it was just a jumping around, doing some features, tracking down some walk-ons and stuff in town, and yeah. all that fun stuff. So it was it was uh, it was all right. But I'm still not really recovered. Yeah. Well, well, how, how you been uh, these last two weeks? Other than that, I hadn't talked to you since since the last time we recorded one of these. Uh, I'm I'm cold. I don't I don't like this snow. I don't like 16 inches of snow. I don't like having to to high step everywhere I want to go. I'm not a fan. I'm not into it, and I don't recommend it. Hey, at least you're honest. But other than that, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, join the whole state of Wyoming and being cold. The way it well, is. it it is what it is, I guess. I mean, you should know that better than me. You're from you're from Nebraska, and I'm from the deep south of Mississippi. You should be like somewhat used to this by now. I feel like well, I'm used to it. I just don't like it. Okay, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I love the cold weather. I've I've said that many times i love i love like the cold weather here but i like the 50 mile an hour winds and the foot of snow all the time that that gets old fast and like my i get my shoes my my hiking boots get all snowy and then while i'm out walking the dog and then i take them in and they melt and they get wet and then i gotta walk the dog again or go outside again and then my that gets cold again, and then my toes get cold, regardless of how many smart wool socks I'm wearing. And I know everybody's going to say, we'll just wear a different pair of shoes. How many different pairs of shoes do you think I have? I'm a journalist, damn it, all right? I've got cowboy boots, and I've got hiking boots and workout shoes. And my workout shoes don't even go up to my ankle, so see how long that lasts you when you walk in the 16 inches of snow. Shake my damn head. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, and those those cowboy boots and hiking boots are essential as a journalist. You never know when you have to go out and cover somebody hiking and have to do interviews out on a on a rock or on a on a mountain or something. You know, they're the most durable shoes I own, man, by a long ways. Yeah, well, glad to hear it, Brady. Um, a lot to get to um, since the last time we recorded a podcast two weeks ago. Obviously alluded to National Signing Day or National Signing Day Part Two, I guess that's to say, since there's now an early signing period and late signing period. That was on Wednesday, um, where Wyoming basically almost finalized this 2020 recruiting class. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, first thing I wanted to hit on Brady was uh, some coaching news at Wyoming. Um, Craig Bull has filled the three. Um, vacancies on his defensive coaching staff did that on Thursday, um, including the hire of a, a new de- defensive coordinator, <laughs> the third uh, defensive coordinator that Wyoming will have had in uh, as many seasons. Um, Jay Salvel or Salvel, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, 
Um, he has been hired as defensive coordinator, uh, was a former uh, D.C. at Minnesota, and most recently Wake Forest back in 2018. So uh, getting a, a guy with some experience at the, at the uh, Power 5 level, uh, and then a name that's probably familiar uh, to a lot of Wyoming fans and people listening here, uh, Marty English. Um, who has already spent had one stint as an assistant at Wyoming. He's returning um, as defensive ends coach. And then Benny Boyd uh, will coach cornerbacks. And then obviously um, those three guys are replacing the, the, the three coaches that left, uh, namely uh, Jake Dickert, who uh, got promoted <laughs> as, to defensive coordinator for one season and then uh, left for Washington State uh, to take the same position, as did A.J. Cooper, who was their – uh, defensive end coach and then uh, cornerback coach John Richardson. All of them uh, left last month to join Nick Rolovich's first staff at Washington State. Um, Nick Rolovich, who a lot of Wyoming fans and fans around the Mountain West are probably familiar with, uh, former Hawaii coach who was hired at Wazoo once Mike Leach left for Mississippi State. So um, I guess it, interesting and in that, as I just mentioned, with, with Jay um, – you know, an assistant uh, with Power 5 experience. Um, didn't necessarily go so well in his most recent stint as defense coordinator at Wake Forest. He was fired um, four games into their 2008 season. Um, they, would, they just weren't very good. Uh, gave up a lot of points that year. And even in 2017, his first year as defensive coordinator, um, but before that he was the DC at Minnesota under, uh, Jerry kill. And, uh, they had a top 25 defense and a lot of, um, major statistical categories that season and including points allowed and, uh, rush defense and sacks and turnovers forced. Uh, and I think Minnesota was nine and four, 10 and four that year. I mean, it was the best record they had had that season in like the last 13 years at the time. So, um, sort of played a part in uh, in Minnesota turning that thing around, but was out of coaching this past season. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting hire just uh, with the fact that he hasn't coached before, but yet has some Power Five experience, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see sort of how that how that translates uh, for a defense that's had a lot of success, obviously at Wyoming in the last couple of years under uh, Jake Dickert and Scotty Hagleton. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy's basically going into as close as the Lions in as you can, um, Wyoming. For as sort of ebb and flowy as Wyoming's success has been historically, um, you defensive coordinator at Wyoming has been a pretty – the standard has been set pretty high lately. Um, and it's I'm, – I'm sure that this isn't the most um, – provocative hire or the the biggest name or the most exciting hire that they could make to fill that position um considering the high standards but um pressure's on man um and they're i don't know it's there's uh hazelton and dickert where uh they they cast a pretty long shadow so we'll just uh we'll see if homeboy can live up to it yeah, and I mean, I think it all started with Scotty Hazelton doing what he did when, um, you know, Steve Sanford was was let go of his duties and Craig hired Scotty. Uh, I mean, he really turned this thing around. And I think Jake sort of piggybacked off that. Not saying Jake was isn't a good coach because, I mean, I think Jake is obviously a very good coach and obviously is getting a lot of respect 
um, particularly around the league from, from his peers in the Mountain West. I mean, you, a guy, you know, a guy that he faced uh, a couple times, um, you know, at, at Hawaii, Nick Rolovich. I mean, he, he takes three of Wyoming's assistant coaches, including Jake, with him. I mean, everybody knows that Wyoming has been very good on the defensive side of the ball and knows what that staff's accomplished um, in recent years. But, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of this has to do – you can talk about schemes and and – and, and different strategies you want to use in the, that side of the ball. And, and I don't think that Wyoming's going to go away from the four-two-five base scheme uh, under Jay. I, I'm pretty sure that's probably something that he and, and Craig probably hashed out during the interview in interviews and during the hiring process about exactly what, what schemes they wanted to use because they're, they're losing their two starting linebackers, Logan Wilson and Cash Malouia, first, f- first of all. Um, so, and that's a posi- – now – you know, after Chad Muma, there's just not a lot of proven commodities at linebackers. So I, I don't think you have enough proven guys to put three linebackers on the field at one time next year. Uh, I just don't see it. Plus, Keon Blankenbaker was really good at nickel. Um, they've got some good, still got some good defensive backs that are coming back. So I think they'll stick with the four two five just based on on some of the personnel that they're losing and some that they've got coming back. Um, but you know, it is just going to be interesting to to see. It, in, in my opinion, how he re, sort of reconstructs this back seven of this defense. Uh, the good news is they've got six of their top eight defensive linemen from last year returning, including their sack leader, Solomon Bird, who was a freshman All-American. Um, but we, we mentioned they're losing Logan and Cash. And then you're losing Tyler Hall. You're losing Elijah Halliburton. Um, you know, those are Logan, Cash, and Elijah were your top three tacklers off a a really good defense last year. And they were all, all three of those guys were either, um, you know, first, obviously Logan was, was an all American. And then you had Elijah, who was a first team all mountain West guy. And then cash who got, um, all league audible mention honors and, you know, two linebackers there were Logan and cash that had started three years together. That's just a lot of pieces on the back seven that they're losing. I just, I just wonder, you know, coming in, how they're going to piece that together. And I think that's obviously the biggest the biggest challenge for Jay taking over this defense is how he's sort of going to rebuild that, reconstruct, you know, what that what the linebacker and what that secondary looks like. Uh, obviously, you got some pieces to work with with Rome Weber and Azizi Hearn and um, Keon, who, who I mentioned, who I, I thought was their probably their most consistent and best DB last year, this past season. I mean, he quietly led them in pass breakups. I mean, he, he, he was really good at that nickel spot. So they, they've got some experience there, but it's going to be interesting um, just to see how, how they go about trying to replace some, all these key players that they're losing, six starters and all that they're losing on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and one of those starters is most likely going to be on some sort of team um, in, what, like a couple months now? Um, and it's going to be a training camp. And oh, Logan Wilson's getting drafted. Yeah, there's no yeah, doubt about that. Yeah, for sure. Like that just, but I don't know. It might be a little. It might be one of those situations where it it is better to kind of start new or start without like the vast expectations of having all of those guys there. Um, and I'd be curious to see what happens to kind of mold what they want to do versus the personnel that they have coming in and the growth that they're going to give those young guys. But I'm on the, on the outside looking in at least. They're going to really need those defensive linemen to uh, continue to progress um, because yeah. if if those guys can't get a push, then um, they're really putting everybody else kind of behind the eight ball. 
Yeah, and you know we'll, we'll see how some of these younger players at linebacker and in the secondary develop. But yeah, I mean going into spring ball, it certainly looks like the defensive line is is going to be the strength of that group heading into next season. Um, and then uh, we'll talk about Marty English just a little bit. Um, obviously, he was. He's been on Wyoming staff before, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I think he actually spent – he was on staff from 03 to 11. Uh, he was Dave Christensen's defensive coordinator um, for a couple of years. So, um, you know, I, I think as much as, as anything, um, and, and Craig Bowl even hinted to it, um, you know, with, with, in, with his uh, statement when, when, these, when he made these hires – um, Marty is known for, for his, not only his coaching, but his, his recruiting and his familiarity with the Rocky mountain range. When you talk about, um, you know, where he's from, he being a, a Colorado native and, uh, he comes from Northern Colorado, his alma mater, where he spent the last two years as defensive coordinator. Um, before that he was on staff at Colorado state for six or seven years, um, and then before that, obviously being at Wyoming. So Colorado and Wyoming is where, where, where he's lived literally. Uh, I mean, he knows this area front and back. And I think he, as much as his, his coaching ability, I think Craig brought him in to really, you know, strengthen their, their recruiting hold in Colorado. Uh, and Craig even alluded to it, um, in the statement when he hired him, um, talking about his recruiting prowess and his, his knowledge and familiarity with this part of the country, and particularly Colorado. I mean, Wyoming's uh, always recruited Colorado pretty well. I mean, it's it's it is a major part of their recruiting fo- footprint. But I think they bring in a guy with that much experience in that state and, and that much familiarity with the state. I think is only gonna gonna help them in that aspect. Um, and then uh, Benny Boyd, he comes to Wyoming. Um, from Eastern Illinois, so he'll be making up, making the jump up a level. Um, but I think pretty highly regarded um, with what he's been able to do, and he also coached at uh, Central Washington, um, and he played uh, at Aurora University in Illinois um, in the late '90s. So um, you know, I think they're they're counting on him to. Um, you know, help with, with obviously coaching, but I think that he's going to be another guy they're going to be counting on to uh, uh, pull his weight in recruiting as well. I mean, Wyoming has recruited Illinois, started to get in there in more recent years. Xavier Valade, he's obviously from Illinois. Um, they've been able to get, go in there and get some players and, you know, have another coach and um, that's on staff that's from that part of the country and knows it well. Again, I think that'll, uh, or at least I think they're hoping that that'll, pay dividends in that aspect. But I think, um, you know, just considering the timing of everything um, with, with, with Jake and AJ and John leaving, basically right in, in mid-January, I think, you know, now that signing day is over, um, you know, obviously the verdict's going to be out on, on on these hires and particularly uh, with Jay, defensive coordinator, um, until, you know, Wyoming plays some games and you've got something to judge them on. But, I, I mean, just – you know, for on paper right now, I think I think it's a solid uh, trio of hires that they made. Well, man, I know that um, Wyoming fans are going to have to wait a while um, to really see how they pan out, which is probably, as Tom Petty said, will probably be the hardest part. So, I don't, I don't know, man. Just uh, everybody, just buckle in and don't get too anxious because um, it's it's not going to do you any good. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know how much how much stock you put in, um, to, 
their defense, his defenses at Wake Forest. He was only there two years. They weren't good. I mean, obviously, when you lose your job, <laughs> you're obviously not doing your job well, or the, co- the head coach doesn't think you are, and you know there's a reason that you get let go. But um, you know, I mean, C- Craig's is a defensive guy. I mean, they, they've got a lot of coaches on this staff here on the defense side that that know what they're doing and know that side of the ball well, and he's a veteran and he's been around. And, uh, yeah, but we'll just have to see sort of how that how that pans out uh, as we uh, get into spring football and uh, as they get into uh, fall camp here in about five months. But, um, Brady, let's go ahead and make, switch over to uh, the players uh, that they're adding and some of the players that uh, Jay Savell will be, will be recruiting on the defensive side of the ball. Um Wyoming added five signees during the uh, traditional signing period on Wednesday, um, and that brings their total to 24 signees for the 2020 recruiting class. Um, They've technically, I guess, got 25 in the class because they do have a commitment from a uh, graduate transfer um, from Cornell, uh, Nick Knoll, who is a kicker slash punter. Um, I think he, he's going to be the replacement for Cooper Roth. Um, I am actually going to talk to him on Friday. So by the time most of you listen to this, um, I will have already talked to Nick and I plan on having a story about him, uh, in this weekend's paper. Um, but he still, he, he has told me that he's sent in his national letter of intent because he's, he's got a scholarship to Wyoming. They're not recruiting him as a walk-on. Um, but Wyoming still has not officially announced his signing, so I'm not really sure what's going on with that. But either way, he's going to be joining Wyoming's signing class and is going to be uh, Wyoming's kicker next year, barring something uh, crazy happening. Um, so once they sign him, they'll have reached their full 25 scholarship limit for the 2020 class. But um, as far as the kids that did sign on Wednesday – uh, really, they hit some needs. You got two receivers out of Texas, Joshua Cobbs and Tyrese Grant, which they had to have because they're losing their three starters and John Equally, Rocket Ismail Jr., and, and Austin Conway. And then they did not sign a single receiver during the early signing period in December. Uh, so they needed receivers in their worst way and went down to Texas and, and got two of them. And then they signed a, a cornerback out of Texas as well, Xavier Carter, um, which is another need that they had. Uh, when you talk about them losing Tyler Hall and, and Antonio Hole off of last year, and then C.J. Colden, who you know has had his um, injury problems the last couple of years, hasn't been able to st- stay on the field. Um, they needed another corner uh, for depth purposes. You know, it was interesting because Craig said another one of their pressing needs during, uh, or one of their focuses during this uh, going into the traditional signing period was uh, tied in. Which was interesting because Wyoming, yes, they're losing Josh Harshman, but they've also got three of their top four tight ends returning in Jackson Marcotte, Nate Weinman, and Trayton Welch. And then they signed Nick Parker, um, a tight end out of Colorado, during the early signing period. So they've got four already. And then they went and signed a junior college tight end, Colin O'Brien, um, big kid, about 6'6, 240 pounds out of a Saddleback College in, in California. Um, but it was it was interesting hearing Craig talk about it because I think they that he's got a skill set. This, this is a kid that was a, a, a consensus three-star recruit. Uh, 24-7 Sports ranked him as the number six junior college tight end in the country. Um, I think he's got a blend when it comes to his skill set that they don't have at the position. 
Um, when you talk about size, athleticism, speed, and and receiving ability, um, and, and obviously anybody that watched Wyoming last year knows Josh was the, was their primary tight end. Um, I think Collins a kid that'll that might be able to to step in and help them right away. And then uh, they signed another linebacker. We mentioned them losing Logan and Cash. And then they're also, don't forget, losing Ben Wisdorf, who was one of their top reserves of the position, special teams contributor. So they're losing three linebackers off there too deep. Um, Connor Shea, a linebacker out of Monta Vista High School in Danville, California. That's their second linebacker signing in this class. So really uh, small class as expected in the late period because they signed 19 – uh, recruits in the early signing period. That's real. The early signing period now is becoming um, sort of the the chaotic time or the, all, where all the drama happens now in recruiting since they've split it into two signing periods. So Wyoming, like all schools, knocked out most of its signing class in December, but uh, signed five more uh, on Wednesday. And I think w- with with this group, they really hit needs that that uh, at, 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 that they had at certain positions. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I, I think took a little bit of adjustment for me was um, I'm so used to this being sort of the truly chaotic day, and that's just really not how it is anymore. Um, so it was interesting. Um, it, But I think – I also think with the sheer amount of uh, scholarships and signees that they had accounted for – um, with the early signing day, or I guess with the what, November, December signing day, um, that sort of, I guess, took the pressure off a lot of points. Um, like you said, they definitely needed to touch on receiver. They've, they addressed a couple of needs. Uh, I don't, I know that they feel good about this signing class. Um, and you could certainly feel a whole lot worse. Um, but I, this is about, yeah. I don't know. This is about the standard. This is where you're not – Craig Bull in Wyoming knows that they're – you know, even though they, they word it a little different, they say that we're, we're not worried about ratings or anything like that or rankings or whatever. They're just going out to get the guys that fit their system. And that, that's a smart way to go about it because they're, you know, just fundamentally um, they're dealt with less resources and, you know, the, the less abilities to – recruit than like a big a big name big brand school so they just kind of stick to their own and they get the guys that are kind of under recruited or the guys that they can kind of develop the i know he came from juco so it's not really the same thing but the josh allen type guys um so it's uh, obviously a josh allen type guy or an underutilized talent doesn't come along all that often but this coaching staff has done a pretty good job of coaching guys up They've got a couple guys playing on Sundays now to prove it. And it'll be really interesting to see where this team goes, especially since now there's um, a little bit of topsy-turviness in the Mountain West. And this and Wyoming staff has been jostled, but Craig Bowles still there. And there's been some consistency with Wyoming, so it'll be interesting to see how the new players and the new coaching staff sort of how they kind of fit together with Wyoming as a program. Yeah, and and how, it is um, interesting. I mean, you mentioned the, the what region. difference that'll make. It, it is interesting to see Wyoming continue to expand at Hawaii and its San recruiting State footprint and, beyond um, Colorado, Colorado and California, and, where they do, uh, you know, all around 85, 90% of their recruiting. Um, 
you know, five more um, prospects that they signed out of Texas this year. I mean, we mentioned the two receivers um, that they signed, and then Xavier Carter, the cornerback from Manville High School there in Manville, Texas. But th- they continue to hit Texas hard, and, and that, that's an area of the country where, frankly, they should. I mean, there's so much talent in that state. I mean, other than Florida, Georgia, and California, I think you – I mean, Texas, obviously, with Texas high school football and everybody knows sort of the lore with Texas high school football and how competitive it is and, and, and how talented those, those players are. There's a, lot of play, there's a lot of talent to go around in that state. And yeah, you know, you're going to have Texas, Texas A&M, you know, Baylor, S, uh, SMU to an extent, LSU, and some other SEC schools come in there and probably get the, the – the five-star kids that toward the cream of the crop, but there's enough there's enough depth and talent in in states like that where Wyoming can go in and get some good kids. I mean, Josh Cobbs, Tyrese Grant, they're they're both rated as three-star recruits by uh, by at least one recruiting service. I mean, these are these aren't just scrubs that Wyoming picked up at the last minute. So it is interesting to see them keep continuing to expand and to continue to go into states like like Texas and and pull kids out of there. I mean, you think about this past year's team, Titus Wynn. Texas, um, you know, huge contributor for them until he went down with that knee injury. Uh, so it, that is that it's it's interesting to see them continue um, to sort of expand their horizons, uh, so to speak, when it comes to um, the areas that they that they want to recruit. Um, but as far as you know, as far as this class, I think it's I think it's. I mean, look, it's hard to sit here and say, like, I can't sit here and say, oh, this is a great class. You know, I mean, most of these kids are at least a year or two away from playing. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these going to be redshirting, and maybe by that time, if they're buried on the depth chart, some of these kids may transfer out of the program. You know, that not everything works out the way you think it will. So, you know, recruiting classes, you have to – you have to be patient with them. You know, it's going to be two or three years down the road, really, until you find out exactly how fruitful a certain recruiting class may be to a to, to a program's attempt to to compete at, at a high level uh, and and with other teams in their conference. So, but I, but I, I do think this is a balanced class. As I mentioned in the open, I think it's a, they had certain needs that they had to hit, and I think they met them. Um, as far as kids that I that I think might have an immediate impact in this class. I've hit on one of them, Colin O'Brien, the tight end. And I also think Craig Bowl and his staff recruited Colin with that same expectation because Wyoming is at a point now heading into Craig's seventh year where they don't have to take junior college players, you know, to, to fill a hole or, or, or you know, pat, patch up a, a, a hole or a, a certain spot that they need. You know, you see a lot of programs that recruit a lot of junior college players because they have needs right now and don't have the depth you know, to, to absorb when, it, when you know, they have a Logan Wilson or a Josh Harshman or any of their uh, – have a starter um, leave and run out of, out of eligibility. A lot of people go directly to the JUCO route to try to to try to try fill those voids. But uh, – so Wyoming doesn't sign junior college players on the regular. I mean, rarely do they do that. I mean, in fact, Colin is the only junior college player in this entire class. So I think that tells you exactly – um, a what they what they expect out of him in terms of how soon he can contribute, and then B his his ability uh, as a football player. Again, I mentioned about six six, two hundred and forty pounds, um, number six tight end, ranked by twenty four seven in in, the, in junior college football. Um, you know, I think he's a kid that that. And Craig talked about this on Wednesday 
that they like as a receiver and both as a blocker. Because as we know, that's Wyoming's pro-style offense. They'd love to run the ball. And if you're a tight end that doesn't like to block, you're not playing for Craig Bowl. So I think they like the combination there. And obviously with Wyoming, they run a lot of uh, two and three tight tight end sets with a lot of the 12 and 13 personnel. So they'll have multiple tight ends on the field anyways. But I think this is a kid that's going to see the field pretty quick. And I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we'll see sort of how – how Jackson Marcotte and, and, and Nate Wyman and even Trayton Welch develop. But I think Trayton Welch is more of a he's – a, he was a true freshman this last year that played in a handful of games. But he's more of – on the slender side, he's more of a receiver at this point. I think he's about 225, 230 pounds. Um, but I think Colin is is sort of that all-around tight end. I think, I think honestly, I think he was a prospect that they probably looked at and and and, and recruited and said we've just got to have this guy, uh, you know, no matter no matter where he plays. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Colin O'Brien um, quickly emerge, maybe as, as their go-to tight end in the way uh, Josh was for them last year. And then another kid I think could contribute early, and I think this has more to do with positional need than anything is linebacker um, and and Connor Shea. Uh, the linebacker I mentioned that signed with them out of Monta Vista uh, in Danville, California. He's a kid that, um, you know, the coaches like his athleticism and his speed. He's about 6'2", 210, so he's a little on the slender side right now. But, again, as we mentioned, there's just not a lot of proven commodities for Wyoming at linebacker right now. With with Logan and Cash gone and Ben Wisdorf gone as well as one of their top backups there, Chad Muma's there, and that's about it right now is guys that, that they trust. I mean, it's you know they've got some younger um, linebackers that they recruited, signed last year, and redshirted. So they have a, they'll have a group of, of redshirt freshmen and some younger guys that they'll continue to develop and get them to the look at in spring ball. But, you know, with, not, with just not a whole lot of experience and a lot of guys that, that they trust at that position right now, I think that, that's, that's a position where a guy like Connor Shea could have a – could have a shot to come in if 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 he's as good as uh, as they think he is, and he was he was a three star uh, recruit ranked by twenty four seven and at ESPN. Um, you know, not that star rankings mean mean everything, but um, sort of a, a highly regarded kid out of California that kind of flew out under the radar, and uh, Wyoming beat out some uh, pretty good schools for him, and I, I think he's got a skill set that they like, and again with. Uh, with, with a need at linebacker, I think you could see him, uh, you know, at least crack the rotation as a true freshman next season. Damn. Well, he, I, I've if I said it once, I've said it a thousand times. All right, <coughs> the people that the two positions that are the most underutilized in college sports and professional football is fullback and tight end. And what happened, man? Like. Who were the well, two? Not a whole lot of people. Not a whole lot of people in football even use a fullback anymore. I mean, Wyoming is one of the few college football teams that actually still get, give scholarships to fullback, recruits them. Yeah, and look and look how they do with that. I mean, when, if, when your fullback is working good, nobody can stop you. And look at yeah, look at I the two. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say it was a bad thing or that it wasn't working. I was just yeah. making an observation. Yeah, I got you. And look at the two NFL teams that were in the Super Bowl. Um, They've got some pretty decent. Uh, they got some pretty decent tight ends, and one of them even had a fullback touchdown. So holla at me now. <laughs> and I, but yeah, for as much as Wyoming really hits those two those two positions and utilizes them heavily, it's part of you know Craig Bull's background coming from a place like Nebraska. That that's 
I mean, you can really carve out some space for yourself there. Um, and some of the guys that they've had go through the system at that position are now, again, playing on Sundays. And to be fair, Josh Harshman probably has a really good shot at doing the exact same thing. So I, that's an exciting point. And if you're a recruit, why wouldn't you be excited about being a part of that lineage and stepping in and doing that? So it is going to be really interesting to see how those how they all pan out because i mean it's going to be a competitive fight because there's a lot at stake right not only for the team but who's going to be the next in line at those positions so like you said you never really know it takes a couple years to really see how the signing classes roll out but um no that those are ones to definitely look at in, in terms of immediacy. Yeah, and if you got freshmen or even junior college uh, signees that are stepping on the field immediately, you can obviously um, start judging them a little earlier since they're contributing right off the bat. And I, I think a receiver is another position um, where you could see maybe like a Josh Cobbs or maybe a Tyrese Grant cracked, at least cracked the rotation there um, because even though – Wyoming's losing those three starters there. You still have some experience there coming back with Aiden Eberhart, Gunnar Gentry, and Dante Crow. But those three guys only combined for 19 catches last year. So they, they've still got to prove themselves a bit. And, and you have some um, other freshmen uh, that are going to be re- that redshirted this year that are going to get a look too. Guys like Alex Brown, Isaiah Nair, um, Devin Jennings, some of those guys that signed with them and back last year. Um, so they've got a group of young receivers, you know, that they've got to work with. It's just going to be a matter to see how how all that plays out, and obviously it's going to be a going to be a competition to uh, to see who gets those reps and who ultimately gets in the rotation. But uh, you know, a lot of questions there to answer, uh, you know, in, in spring ball and the summer and going into fall camp. But and also Wyoming will add some walk ons, preferred walk ons to the program. Um, I actually asked. Uh, their media relations department about that on Wednesday. And some of the kids that are walking on, I guess, still have not officially um, signed and sent in paperwork um, to Wyoming. So I was told that Wyoming can't even comment or acknowledge them at this point if they haven't sent in any sort of documentation. Uh, But Brady, I know there's a couple of walk-ons from Wyoming um, they're going to be joining the Cowboys program uh, next year. I guess you just talk about um, who those will be and, and sort of what what they might bring to the program. Yeah, well, kids, get your damn paperwork in because I've, a couple of years ago I wrote about all seven uh, in-state walk-ons that were joining the Cowboys program, and the, we went all the same day with them, and it was a really cool rollout. And this year we only had two. So, kids, get your damn paperwork in so we could have a fun, cool, like, all all of, all of you at once. Um, but of the two, I'll be honest, one of the two I was happy to see, and the other one I was completely taken by surprise. Not because I don't really enjoy and like his skill set, but because I just didn't think it, he had it in him. Um, number one off the bat is uh, Will Pellissier from Bighorn. Uh, Bighorn's been one of the most dominant teams in their classification for the last four years. They've won three of the last four state championships, played for all four state championships during that turn, and Will Pellissier has been a leading receiver um, and then running back for them uh, throughout most of that. Um, This last year, he was ridiculous, another Super 25 selection, and 
he tell he tells me it basically came down to an opportunity that it was he thought was too good to pass up and he's excited to join the program right now coaches have him um as a wide receiver and part of that is because of his frame he's like um 180 right now um but he's he's very fast um so with that strength and conditioning program down there, uh, that's going to do wonders. But the dude, uh, he does indoor track as well. Uh, he decided to do indoor this year instead of uh, basketball to help his speed. That's going to be a big help. Um, the other one is um, Duncan Radakovich from Cody. His dad was a defensive lineman at Colorado State. And so when Duncan got the offer to walk on and took it, I know his, his dad was a little taken aback by that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure that was, I'm sure that was an interesting conversation. Yeah, no, and I told him, I was like, man, I would have loved to have seen that. And he's like, they went on the visit. Even his dad looked at the stuff and he's like, I don't blame you for going to Wyoming. I do the same thing right now too, considering the facilities yeah. and where CSU's at and all that stuff. Um, right. But Duncan was one of the guys that you kind of really didn't know what was going to happen to. And then um, he, his head coach just sent in tape because he thought that that was the kind of guy that Wyoming likes. And I guess the coaching staff really liked him on film, talked to him. Um, he's kind of a project guy. He's right now, I think he's 6'5", 230, um, somewhere in that ballpark. And he's elected not – or he's still doing basketball this year. And he's going to do track, I believe, in the spring – um, so he's, he's he a project guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he, okay. d- and obviously does football in the fall. Uh, both of these walk-ons are multiple sport guys. Um, so he's, I think kind of a project guy. They've got him playing defensive line, just like his dad, um, put a little bit of weight on that frame and they like where he's at. So, um, yeah, man. Um, Right now, that's all I got. Uh, once the the other walk-ons come through, I'm going to talk with them, and uh, we can always check in on that and keep an eye on Polk's authority if you're really anxious and you're waiting on the day-to-day. Nice plug. I like it. Um, <laughs> did any? Did any? Did either of those two have scholarship offers from any other schools? Um, Duncan. Duncan didn't, as far as I know, didn't have any scholarship offers. He was talking with a couple of others, but not so much. Uh, Will Pellissier did. He had, um, he said that he had scholarship offers from NAIA schools, and I he had one. He had been talking with Montana and Montana State, and he had one from one of them uh, that I know for sure, but I don't know which one that that was. So he was in talks with an FCS program um, to get some scholarly action. But that's how it all played out. Yeah. Well, the allure of the home state school is always strong, particularly when you're uh, when the offers you're getting are from lower level schools. So I always find that interesting to see who, you know, where there are kids out there that opt to walk on rather than take a scholarship somewhere else. Yeah. No. And I know in the past there have been some that bucked the D two or FCS scholarship for a walk on role, and there have been some who thought. I'll just go play D2 and take the money. So really you can't blame a kid either way, but it's no, really cool, yeah. Yeah, not at all. Uh, but, yeah, at some point, once I guess all their paperwork is in, we will we will get a full list and a full head count of exactly how many walk-ons uh, will be joining Wyoming um, this fall as well. But, uh, Brady, I think we can go ahead and uh, take a break there. And uh, when we get back, we're going to shift gears uh, a little bit and talk about 
probably the most sudden, shocking death in the sports world uh, in a long time. And certainly, I think, in our generation. Uh, when I say our, I mean me and Brady. And uh, give our memories of uh, Kobe Bryant. Everybody. Welcome back into the postcast, and uh, now we're going to talk about um, some of the memories that we both have of Kobe Bryant. Brady, it's hard to believe it's been almost three weeks now um, since he and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and seven other people died in a helicopter crash in California. Um, that seemed like... You know how, like, 9-11, that's always an event. Everybody that people talk about, you'll always know where you were when that happened. Like, I feel like this, it, it, just considering how much of, and and not only a sports icon, but a, a sort of a global icon that Kobe had started becoming, um, that this is another event where we'll all know where we were uh, when that happened. And I, I was actually taking, I actually took that weekend off. Um, cause that happened on a Sunday and I had taken that weekend off, I think, as you remember, and I'd gone out of town and I was, I was in LaGuardia airport in New York when that happened. And I mean, you, I mean, New York is already sort of a melting pot of cultures and people and races and ethnicities. And it was so like, it was so surreal to see everybody, regardless of who you were, black, white, you know, regardless of what your ethnicity, every every sort of person that was walking through that airport at that time, um, we, st- we everybody stopped at the nearest um, TV and, and watched it. Everybody's eyes were glued, and I think every, everybody. It took a moment. They were like, you know, they, I mean, obviously it was on it was on ESPN and every news um, outlet that there was what was was you know reporting the news that Kobe had died. And, you know, I, I even heard, like, audible gasps when people were like, Kobe? Like, Kobe Bryant? Like, that surely that can't be Kobe Bryant. Like, it was one of those deals. And everybody was just glued to the TV to hear about it. And, you know, I, I'm just curious as to maybe where you were and kind of what, what, what your memories are of, like, one of the – of probably the, the basketball player that – or the best basketball player that, that we grew up with in our generation – yeah, um, 
I mean, I can tell you, I had just got done walking the pup, and we had just gotten back to um, to the apartment when the push notification came across my eye, and I was like, no way, you know, just kind of, I couldn't believe it, I didn't think that that was right, it was, can't be the same guy. Um, he's an incredible basketball player, um, I remember... Watch. I remember being at um, a duplex, hanging out. Um, this would have been a little bit before I came to Wyoming for this job. I was hanging out um, in a duplex in Lincoln and watching Kobe's final game and the Warriors go for seventy-two wins. Is, is happening in the same day on the same night was an incredible back and forth, yeah. and um, and that was always fun. Uh, um, to to think about, like you know, Kobe had this many shots, and it's like, of course he did, because like, who's gonna like he shot a lot in the first place? Who's gonna want to take the ball away from him in his last game? Like people wanted him to shoot more, and that was, um, it was it, one of those athletes that was just kind of once in a lifetime and incredible. Um, it's you're so your your heart breaks that others were involved, including uh his young daughter whom he loved and spoke highly of and you feel just completely heartbroken for the family left behind um but one of the things that kind of stands out to me because a part of me part of me was like okay how far are we going to go with these kobe tributes because like everybody's doing it people that never met him people that like you know youngsters that were kicking cans around um, when he was playing but like he was he was bigger than that and he was bigger he was an an icon and icons kind of transcend generation or even reach like they can they can reach beyond to where you're at having said that i i was also an impressionable young man when kobe was on trial in denver um and he was acquitted of the charges but that was it was one of those cases where they even at the time you think about it and you look back now and they basically smeared the the victim yeah. on it um for those who don't remember, Kobe Bryant was one of the rare superstar athletes that has been taken to trial for sexual assault. Um, even the defense recognized that um, a sexual encounter happened. This was extramarital. He had already, you know, yeah. um, been married at the time. And he gave, I remember one of the, the big things that stands out for me at that time was he gave his wife a multi-million dollar apology ring. And he said that it didn't happen the way that they said it did. And... I th- at that time, I think that that, if I remember correctly, um, that case kind of helped revolutionize the rape kits that they use now and the technologies used in hand. Yeah. Because, I mean, th- this is before the whole the Me Too movement. This is well before all of that. This is well before the documented cases. So to bring a guy like Kobe Bryant on trial for this, you have to have incredible evidence at hand, and the, the and the state has to feel like they have plenty plenty at hand to to for a conviction um and that's not how it played out obviously he's he's innocent in the eyes of the court but that was always one thing that stuck with me about kobe um and i feel like that's one of the the complex aspects of his legacy that people happen to overlook um when they think about kobe now that's obviously not to 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 tarnish what he did or what it what he meant to people but it is he's but he's a person Right. He's not a pillar of humanity. He's a person that is capable of doing bad things as well as good things. So, 
I th- it, it humanizes him. It doesn't make him one thing or another. But I part of me wants to know how that victim or that the alleged victim in that case um, feels about all of these the outcries of testimonials and support from what she went through. Um, but that was just something that went through my mind, um, and one thing I couldn't kind of shake uh, during the whole thing. Yeah, and, and, when, and when you're talking about somebody's legacy, you have to take everything into context. I mean, you can't get you don't get to pick and choose what you want to talk about or what you want to acknowledge. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's obviously part of of his life, and and uh, that's why you know you have to be careful whether it's an athlete, uh, movie star, you know, singer, actor, whatever, a, a celebrity. You have to be careful about putting them on pedestals because at the end of the day. They are humans, and that's that's one of the first things that that really hit home with me was the fact that you have a guy that's that is one of the best. I mean, people you can argue you people argue this, and you can argue it until the end of time whether he was the best basketball player of all time. But but not only that, but he was you know just he's forty one years old, and um, you know he's got four daughters, and one of them was in the helicopter with him. That crashed, and that's the first thing that that really I took from it is, you know, you, you think that, or you think that certain like we're all we're all living, so we're all we're all obviously going to die. But it's almost like you think of these people and, and celebrities and, and and people that you look up to sort of as as uh, you know immortal, and that you know they're going to live forever, and you know, they're going to do all this great stuff, and you're going to be able to idolize them forever, whatever. Um, but I mean it. it they are, we are, everybody's human and it does humanize it. And it's a reminder that man, all this can be over just like that. And that that's the thing that's so tragic about this is the fact that you, I mean, you want usually if, if somebody's going to die, you want it to be because of, of, of older age or natural causes or, or, you know, something like that rather than a, a, a tragic helicopter crash, um, you know, in, in, in a helicopter that, that he took all the time. I mean, listening to um, people talk on, on ESPN and, and other media outlets, I mean, apparently this is, you know, he, he, he was going to his daughter's basketball practice uh, or a basketball camp or something along those lines. And apparently this is some a trip that he took, uh, a short trip from his home in California to wherever they were going. I mean, he took helicopter rides all the time, even when he was a player uh, in the Staples Center. And, you know, for it to just one one thing goes wrong, and it and it's all just over like that. And I I think that's the shock to it all. Just just how big of a personality and a sort of an, an icon, if you want to, if you will, um, and for that all of that to end for him at forty one years old when he had so much life ahead of him to live. That's that that's. Why it's taken every? It's going to take people a long, really, really long time. I think to to get over that shock factor and to to really accept it. Because you know, I remember you know just looking at Twitter and watching TV. The even three or four days after it, it's like people were sitting there talking about you know we still don't think this is real. You know, I I, I think it was um, Dwayne Wade or Shaq or one of them or maybe both of them were talking about how they felt like this was a dream. You know, and they were still just waiting to wake up from from a bad dream and. You know, obviously that's that's not the case, but I, I think to me, for me too, um, it, it's sort it's shocking because 
Kobe and LeBron, for people our age, or around our age, I mean, I'm in my early 30s. I know you're younger than I am. Um, this Kobe and LeBron is who we grew up with in the NBA when you talk about superstar basketball players. Now, yeah, you still had Michael Jordan, but I, I, you know, even Michael Jordan, when, you know, when he crossed over Brian Russell uh, and he hit the game-winning shot in Game Six against the Utah Jazz uh, in the '98 NBA Finals, um, you know, I was, you know, I, I was obviously around for that and, and remember that vividly, but. Um, you know, I was 11 years old then in 1998. I know you were, you were even younger than that. So Jordan was really on his way out as we sort of, you know, got into our, our teenage years and, and really, um, when we started growing up and really paying attention to, to sports, um, you know, MJ was, I mean, I know he came back for his, after his second retirement and played with the wizards for a couple of years, but, but he was done really after winning that last, his sixth and last championship with the bulls in 98, but Kobe had just basically come into the league and it was him. Um, uh, and then LeBron, you know, and he was drafted by, by Cleveland in 2003. I mean, th- those were the two players that we've grown up with and, and, in our lifetime, essentially, I mean, th- th- that's it. Kobe and LeBron and, That'll that's all that's still the debate, you know. Who's the, you know, is Kobe or LeBron better? Who's the better player? And, um, you know, and to be honest, like when I was younger, growing up, like I didn't like Kobe. I mean, watching him from a distance, like I did, I did not like his game. I thought he was selfish. I thought he was a ball hog, um, which he was at times. But also, you know, as you get older and you start, you know, understanding sports more and you start understanding personalities and, and teams and stuff like that. Um, you realize that's sort of where that Mamba mentality comes from um, that, that, that he evoked. Uh, you know, he, I don't know if I've seen a better closer or I, no, I'll, I'll take that back. I, in my lifetime, I've not better, I've not seen a better closer in the NBA than Kobe Bryant. I mean, you know, if his team, if the Lakers were down by two or tied with 15, 15 seconds left and they, and they had the ball, Kobe was taking the last shot. It was everybody get out of my way and I'm going to, I'm I'm either going to make this or we're going to lose or go to overtime. And the other team knew that too. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between between Kobe and LeBron. Like, LeBron's such a cerebral player. And obviously Kobe was too. I'm not saying Kobe wasn't. But I think there are times late in games where where LeBron will he'll, – he'll, he'll think about how the defense is playing him or what the defense is trying to do. And he'll he, – he, tries to make the right basketball play, and most of the t- 99.9% of the time he does, whereas Kobe was just like, give me the ball and get out of my way. I'm going, I'm, I'm shooting. The other team knew it, so it was either, we're either going to stop Kobe or we're not. Like, here it comes. Can we stop it? And, you know, it, it, it's just, as you get old, you get older and now, you know, now that after his death, I think, like, as a just a sports fan in general that, again, grew up with Kobe and LeBron as the the NBA megastars during our generation, I think it it, it it hits even more because I think you looking back like you learn to appreciate as uh, you know as somebody that covers sports, somebody that's played sports and been around it your whole life, like you learn to appreciate that competitiveness and that drive and that desire even more. And I think that's that's one of the things that's. Um, you know, I don't think I appreciated it when I was younger, growing up and watching him. Um, you know, just how he had that that killer mentality. That you know, by God, I'm going like I'm going to take this final shot. I'm you're going to make it. You're going to have to stop me. Um, 
yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if there's been if there's a better closer in the NBA period than Kobe Bryant. I mean, it, that was a, he was a special talent, and I think you, you know you hear people talking about it even after his death. But his work ethic, I mean, how he would just stay in the gym forever and ever and ever, and how he hated for anybody to even outwork him, and he, he was even that way as as a superstar. I mean, you can you could see. Uh, or it's not uncommon to see, you know, guys that are young still trying to prove themselves and cut, cut their teeth in the league, uh, you know, try to go out there and prove themselves and work hard and, and not want to get out work. But as a, you know, he's even a, a multi-time all-star and multi-time NBA champion. I mean, for him to continue to have that same work ethic and drive, um, I think that's something that is hard. To, I think it's hard to match just in terms of his mentality. And I think it's something for – you know, even younger athletes coming up or athletes now, um, or even in any walk of life. I mean, to be de- determined enough, even when, you know, you, you feel like you've established yourself, you feel like you're, you've arrived. I think that's that's sort of part of it. I, I feel like Kobe never felt like he actually arrived. I mean, even though he's, you know, a, a global star, um, he always had the, he always worked as if he always had something to prove because he didn't want people that work him. And then, you know, obviously that, that kind of uh, preparation um, obviously shows up on the, on the court, and um, man, it was really hard. They had a the Lakers had a tribute before their um, home, their first home game since Kobe had died. Um, they had a tribute uh, before the game that was like 20, 30 minutes long, and it was it, it was man, it, it was hard to watch. Like I teared up a little bit, but um, yeah, it's just I think it just. Because we grew up with him, like he was the guy, him and LeBron, and uh, just how big of a personality, how big of a, a just a, a sort of a, a superstar that he was, and for a life like that, and not only that, but one of his children's life to be cut short like that, um, yeah, it, it's it's hard to stomach. I think it's going to take people a long time to to really accept that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it is one of those landmark events and moments that you kind of just think about and you, hopefully you just kind of treasure what you can. Uh, it gives you time to sort of reassess things and prioritize some things. And I know another positive to come out of it is sort of been like an open acceptance to like these pillars of men to like uh, let loose and like open up their emotions, you know, um, be be open about crying on television and stuff like that and not be just kind of you know um the the masquerade of macho-ness is kind of torn down because it is okay to like you know open up about big things that affect you and hurt feelings like this so i mean that's a positive um i and obviously things will keep moving forward we'll find a way to kind of carry on and uh basketball will live on forever um as will kobe's memories so it's it's good that we have them and um it's good to if you took a moment to hug your hug your kids or tell them how much you appreciate them that's a that's another positive i guess yeah man don't don't take any moment for granted because you never know when it'll all be over it's uh hard thing to stomach and uh just just shocking and and all, but uh, Brady, I think we can uh, we can go ahead and wrap it up there. A um, couple of uh, housekeeping items I wanted to mention before we get out of here. Uh, Logan Wilson, former Wyoming linebacker and Casper native, 
Uh, he has been invited to the NFL scouting combine at the end of the month in Indianapolis. Um, he already played in the senior bowl down in Mobile uh, last month. So uh, he is making all the rounds in terms of getting chances to um, you know work out in front of NFL personnel. And obviously at the combine, all 32 teams are there. Um, and just based on what I've read from some national uh, draft analysts from the Senior Bowl, it seem, seems like Logan's um, draft stock is trending uh, upward at this point. Uh, I actually have a story uh, on that uh, sort of where uh, his draft stock is now, what some of the national uh, draft analysts are, are, have been saying about Logan leading into the uh, NFL Combine, and uh, that's on Trib.com. Um, so he will work out uh, linebackers and defensive linemen work out on February 29th. Um, and uh, the plan is right now for for me to go to Indianapolis and, and cover Logan at the Combine. So um, I plan on being there. And then uh, Wyoming's men's basketball team uh, finally ended their conference losing skid with a win over San Jose State last weekend. Um, so it, it ended a 10-game losing streak in conference this season and their 11-game uh, conference losing streak dating back to last year when they lost to New Mexico in the opening round of the Mountain West Tournament. Um, but um, they followed that with a loss at home to Boise State on Tuesday night. Uh, they were actually leading that game with about five and a half minutes left, but um, as they usually do, they, they went cold uh, down the stretch. I think they missed eight of their last 11 shots from the field um, and ended up losing what was a winnable game for them. Um, but they will return to action on Saturday with a trip to uh, the pit to play New Mexico. That game tips at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. But uh, stay locked into uh, Trib.com and PokesAuthority.com for uh, all of our coverage. Uh, we'll have more recruiting coverage coming over the weekend and into early next week. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Pokes Authority and at Wild Varsity. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davis E. Potter. You can also follow Brady on Twitter at Brady Oltmans. Um, I think I mentioned this on our last podcast, but if I didn't, we have switched over to a new um, hosting site uh, for our podcast. So uh, you can find our podcast at on Omni Studio. It is all, still also be available on Google Play, iTunes, and also Spotify. So be sure to uh, like it, download it, share it, give us that five-star rating. Um, Brady, appreciate you joining me as always. Um, appreciate all of you for listening, and uh, we will catch up with you later. Bye.